0: Players gather to cast powerful spells, some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Orcish Bowmasters, Orcish Bowmasters, Orcish Bowmasters, and many others battling head to head in brutal combat, they all have one thing in common, to uphold their legacy in the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by the minds behind Bosch and Roll on YouTube, Arabian University, and The Epic This episode is sponsored by Eminence Gaming.
1: Hello, and welcome to episode 105 of the Eternal Glory Podcast Legacies Missing Cards. We've already recorded thirty minutes of introductions and banter for the week, available in our supporter exclusive pre-show. Check out patreon.com/eternalglory to gain access, or join as a YouTube member for the same content on YouTube instead. I'm Phil Gallagher, A.K.A. Thraben You. I am Brian Koval, A.K.A. Bosh and Roll.
0: And I am Brian Cook of the Epic Storm. Shout
2: out to our new supporters who just enjoyed the thirty-minute pre-show: Jonathan, Jared, Anthony. Regal and Clinton. Shout out to those five new supporters. They are keeping this show on the air. And if you like this show, check out patreon.com slash eternal glory or join as a YouTube member. And while I have the mic, another exciting thing that is adjacent to this podcast that I ask you to support, I was recently a guest on the Tularian community college series Shuffle Up and Play. Myself and Honorag Das, Anu, Anzi D M T G. And we are playing a Legacy Gauntlet. Six decks, three matches, bashing into each other, featuring a bunch of cool stuff in Legacy. And that is releasing on Tolarian Community College Monday, August 28th. It's a lot of fun. Anu's great. The Professor's great. And it's a
1: good feature of Legacy. So
2: if you like that format, click on that video and let the the biggest channel in Magic know that we're here and we're watching.
1: If you're interested in running an event or want your LGS to do so, but are worried about the logistics of it, check out Eminence Gaming's Command Tower software. You can create and manage four-player or 1v1 tournaments easily, and its unique pairing system ensures you don't get paired against the same players multiple times. Visit eminence.events for details. Going directly into our show for today, we kind of have a three-part show. Today we want to talk about cards that have come to Magic Online, cards that are not online yet that we may end up getting soon as well as just a few cards from Wilds of Eldraine that need to be on your radar for constructed purposes.
2: Yeah, so let's start with the cards that did make it to Magic Online. I'd like to preface this, the first two sections, by saying I'm pretty stoked with Daybreak's handling of Magic Online since they've gotten it. I feel like they respond quickly to bugs and generally just it's cool to have a dedicated set of hands on the program that I use for my living, So shout out to them. I believe that in the section of cards that are not online yet, a lot of these are not just laziness, there is actual hangups with licenses across Warhammer 40k, and there's some weird stuff going on that the casual consumer of MTGO does not necessarily understand, and I don't necessarily understand either. No judgment. We are excited in section one to talk about cards that did make it to mtgo
0: quick pause on you there brian i was at baltimore and i was talking to one of the artists about getting my card signed or whatever and they mentioned specifically that they were upset that they were not getting artist proofs of cards that they had done because when you're an artist for the game and whatever your card is printed wizards will usually send you a hundred proofs or whatever for you to sign or alter and sell with lord of the rings coming out they did not receive any due to licensing issues so that's likely a pretty good reason why we don't have these cards online yet
2: yeah there's a lot of stuff and we're in the early days of the crossovers and universes beyond and, and all that, and you can feel how you want about that. It is a lot of Magic cards, and there's a lot to figure out about how to roll them out to the people who
1: need them. As a note, we are choosing this time to talk about these cards because we are starting to see signs that some of them might actually be moving towards coming to Magic online. So for example, when you go to Pithing Needle cards, you can start to see the names of these cards. The art of some of these cards are starting to work their way onto Magic Online. So steps are being taken in the right direction, and our goal for today is to prepare you for what's coming, because there's currently a large difference between Paper Legacy and Magic Online.
2: And all of this, we get to jump off with good news. There are a couple of cards that were just added to Magic Online recently that have been real cards for several years now, and we finally have access to. Less important to our general listener, but very important to the CEDH community. Tivit, Seller of Secrets, just got printed onto Magic Online. That is a premier top three deck in the format. It's the commander of that deck and just straight up didn't exist. So MTGO players who enjoy CEDH rejoice. Along with Tivit, we got Imposter Mech, which is like a phantasmal image that's also a vehicle. It has artifact synergies and clone synergies, and that is a card that's frequently seen in Tibit decks. Big upgrades for that community there. And more relevant to our general listener, Creative Technique is available on Magic Online now, which is a card that we've been seeing screenshots of from paper tournament Twitch streams and stuff for... Quite some time. I I don't know when it actually came out, but it feels like a year or more.
0: Creative technique. 4 in a red, so 5 mana total for a sorcery with the ability Demonstrate. When you cast this spell, you may copy it. If you do, an opponent can also copy it. Shuffle your library, then reveal cards from the top of it until you reveal a non-land card. Exile that card, and then put the rest on the bottom in a random order. You may cast the exile card without paying its mana cost, and it came out in Commander 21.
1: So that's um, approximately 843 days, just in case anyone was keeping track at home. I certainly wasn't. If anyone wasn't uh,
2: checking their, their calendar day by day, 843
1: days, says Phil.
2: Creative Technique is, it, it's a deck. It is not just like some little tool. It's not like an upgraded removal spell we'd like to have. This is a whole engine on its own. Basically, the way this deck works is you just get to five mana, then you fire in your creative technique, and off you go. The deck is all lands that make two mana. So, uh, Ancient Tomb, City of Traders, the good ones, and then all the Invasion Sack lands. Old school Storm gamers will know about those. And
0: Depletion lands from Mercadian Mask.
2: I call them Depletion lands in my head. There are a cycle of lands that you literally put Depletion counters on from Ice Age which are the depletion lands. So I don't know what we're doing, but like the Hickory, Woodlot, Sandstone, Needle, Sappers and Scary, that cycle from Mercadian Mask, that also kind of deplete. So uh, those ones, that's the entire mana base. And hopefully on turn three, you put a creative technique on the stack or a six mana cascade spell that can only cascade into creative technique. And then you just fire creative techniques off and hit higher and higher cost cascade spells that cascade eventually down into another creative technique and loop de poop de woop dee eventually there is an Emrakul with haste in play, and then the game ends. It's kind of wild to watch. All three of us have released it on our channel if you want to see it in action, and it's a whole deck just
1: by itself that now exists that did not exist three weeks ago. So Bryant, I'm going to fire a question your way. Why would someone want to play this deck? What is the appeal of this deck versus any other combo deck in the format?
0: Well, it's inherently good against counterspells. You would need at least two counterspells to stop it like most Cascade decks. Will,
1: will you take one step slower and explain like why do you need multiple counterspells to stop this?
0: Sure. Well, the Demonstrated Ability puts two copies of the spell in the stack. So if you only have a single counterspell, there will still be one creative technique still on the stack. With that copy, you will find another Cascade creature that will then find a creative technique that will put two more copies on the stack. So then it starts to just build and build and build and build. So if you don't have two counterspells out of the gate, you're in trouble. But like most Cascade decks, it is stopped by Teferi Time Raveler. That is the biggest obstacle for this card in the format. That said, decks that play Creative Technique do have four main deck copies of Odawara Soaring City, so there is some way to combat it. Pretty uh, good combo when you need at least two counter spells to stop it, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, the whole Cascade business and the fact that all Cascade spells have to lead down to a five drop and stop there messed with me a few times like I do understand the deck but I was in the middle of playing it and uh like in in my original my starting deck tech I noticed there were a bunch of pyrokinesis in the sideboard and I was like oh that's interesting the deck designer values it being an instant over it being a three three and hitting planeswalkers out of fury but fury can mess up your cascade chain and because pyrokinesis actually costs six and fury costs five so that can mess up your chain I even noticed that like 10 minutes later, I was like, oh yeah, you can't actually play Fury for that reason. And then at the end of the league, I was like, this deck could function with Blood Moon in play. Our payoff spells are all red. Like, why don't we just put Blood Moon in for these tough matchups? And and it was just because you cascade into it, idiot. It's just like a really weird thing to wrap your head around. It reminds me of the time my friend Alex Bestecki was testing for a Pro Tour. A Shardless Agent deck was in the format uh, or some sort of Cascade deck, maybe Hypergenesis he was like, we could play Nyx for the mirror. Nyx is a card from Future Sight, one blue counter target spell if no mana was spent to cast it. And wow, that's really smart Till you cascade into it. What the heck? It's just one of these like brain holes that requires a very specific deletion of everything you know about magic to work on a deck like this.
0: When I recorded my video, I started off with, if you love terrible deck names, you're going to love today's video. It's Mississippi River. And then in the comment section... One, people were either super offended that I said Mississippi River was a terrible deck name, or two, they had no idea why it was called it. And I was like, this is exactly why it's a terrible deck name. Uh, and my assumption is that when you end up cascading, you create a river of spells in the stack. And well, they're cascading rivers, ha ha ha. But like, by the time I was done putting Embercle on the stack in a lot of my games, I was at like Storm 27, 26. Like, you cast a lot of spells in this stack.
1: Yeah, and I think this is where I want to talk about some of the strategy of playing the deck. Something you need to be aware of is if you already are convinced that you've won the game, stop demonstrating. Stop giving your opponent the chance to flip something into play that can beat you. So for example, I was playing against this deck, and I was fully dead, and they kept demonstrating. And then I flipped a Lavinia into play. They conceded after that happened. I had another time where I, I think I demonstrated when I didn't need to. And my opponent flipped the Teferi into play. And I was just like, oh, no, like, or, or something of that general nature. Be careful. That's a thing that can happen. Uh, one of my opponents flipped a Doomsday. And things got real weird all of a sudden. And I wasn't sure what to do from there because I didn't really have lethal yet. And I'm like, do I demonstrate or do I risk not having enough to kill them and pass the turn? It got real weird. Everything that this deck is good
2: against counter spells for, like Bryant already laid out that you need two counters or you need to demonstrate randomly into one plus have one in your hand. It's a big test to get over that sucks against hate permanents thalia good luck uh and thalia is the least of them arcane of Emilia, you're dead other Canonist, you're dead teferi lavinia not that draneth magistrate sees play in this format but if it ever were to another one you can't beat all these hate things uh real sticky permanents uh deafening silence forget about it uh so just it, it is soft to a lot of stuff i've said this on the pod for years now you don't beat combo decks With counterspells anyway. You use counterspells to protect your hate pieces that come in out of the sideboard. Don't just hide behind a wall of force of wills and fluster storms. They're gonna beat you. You need that deafening Silence. You need that Null Rod. You need that whatever. And Bryant is writhing in his chair. Nodding begrudgingly that I'm right but hating it. Basically the way that decks should be approaching combo anyway. This deck really forces you to fully embrace.
0: Once again, this deck does have four copies of main deck Ottawa Soaring City. The list that I played had two Besajus as well. You could increase that number. And the specific list that I was playing had three Mirror Shell Crabs in the sideboard because you can counterspell hate pieces with it because all your lands make two. You'll have two lands in play sometimes. So it might be like a Surprise and Scary and a Crystal Vein or whatever. You can mana leak that turn three to Fairy. However, if you're me, that just means that you cascade into them at the most inopportune times and throw your 5-0 match. So there's risk involved into boarding in these cards as well because sometimes they'll make you fizzle.
1: So let's talk about the sideboard plan for this deck. This deck runs three or four copies of Throws of Chaos and Tybalt's Trickery to counter them. So Throws of Chaos is three colorless and a red just for a spell that has Cascade and Retrace. The idea being that you cascade into a Tybalt's Trickery, you counter your Throws of Chaos... And then you will end up hitting a cascade spell or a creative technique to continue the chain from there.
0: That plan is for when you want to be faster, because usually this combo costs five, usually six mana. The Throws of Chaos line costs four, so that means that you can play it on turn two. But you do introduce some randomness of Tybalt's Trickery. So a lot of lists only play two because you never want to hit another Tybalt's Trickery off of Tybalt's Trickery. And Phil mentioned that as a retrace. I played the entire league without realizing that because it was just never relevant. I never played a combo deck, so I never boarded it in. But I faced this deck recently and I was like, okay, I'm going to discard their throws and then they have nothing to do. I'll untap and win. No, they just retraced it and then I died. And I was just like, how did I not realize this? Uh, A little bit of egg on my face, but it's just the truth. I mean, that makes the deck really resilient.
2: Yeah, I had a similar experience. I played against the deck. And I hit them with some targeted discard spell, and I was like, well, they're untapping into 4 mana. They have an extra land. Taking the throws doesn't do anything. I just hope it doesn't kill me somehow. And then obviously it did. And I used that lesson in the league I played. I played against Death Shadow in one of my rounds, and that was that's a deck full of targeted discard. And I just brought in my throws, not to go faster, but as resilience against discard. And it worked out beautifully. Uh, opponent actually thought C's plus surgical my creative techniques and I was like that's cool Tibalt's trickery, you're dead and it was a lot of fun it was very satisfying to be rewarded with a
1: sideboard plan like that all right as we've already talked about mind's desire quite a bit in a previous episode we're not going to go into that today and instead unless anyone else has anything to say about creative technique no, we, we said more than I thought we were going to. Good job, guys. Then we're going to go ahead and go into the cards that are not yet on Magic Online. But at some magical time in the future, they will be there.
2: Uh, Tony, who is the face of MTGO at Daybreak, I don't know exactly what his job is, uh, but he's the one who interfaces with the public. And he has said in multiple interviews and, and sources that Quarter 3 is their target for Warhammer cards. And I imagine we're it's late August right now, so uh, I don't know what quarters, or if this is a fiscal year that started in the summer, or an actual year that started in January, or I don't know what that means. We gotta be close to it.
1: The first thing that we're gonna talk about is the attraction cards. And I think we're just gonna go ahead and ballpark them together. These are cards such as Deadbeat Attendant, DK Finder of the Lost, and the most dangerous gamer. Essentially what these cards do is they allow you to open an attraction, and this is another one of those sort of side decks that you make, kind of like a sideboard. You can make an attraction deck of 10 attractions, and you'll shuffle that up, and when something like Deadbeat Attendant enters the battlefield, you get to open up an attraction. All right. Do either one of you want to explain how these work? Otherwise, I'll do it.
0: I have no clue. So I'm really interested, Phil.
1: Yeah, I'm like
2: 53% positive about what these cards actually do. I'll, I'll let you do the real thing. But my understanding is once they're in play, you roll a die every upkeep. Let me know if I'm I'm, I'm close. Let, let's make a game out of this. So the attractions all have some minor effect and they're permanents that stay in play. Are they artifacts? They are artifacts. They are artifacts that come into play. They all have numbers 1 through 6 on them, and some amount of those 1 through 6 pips are selected on each card. So, like, you roll a d6 in your upkeep, is it? Maybe main phase, or at some point, and then if you hit the number of the attraction that is selected, you get the minor effect.
1: Yes, that is correct. It happens at the beginning of your first
0: main phase. I would like to now say what I thought that they did. This is fun. I like it. Yeah, uh, the attraction. So you have you know, like your attraction deck and then your sticker deck, and then you shuffle them together at the beginning of a match to waste time on the clock. And then eventually when you end the match in a draw, you complain about how you were one turn away because you spent five minutes shuffling attraction decks at the beginning of your match. I don't know how many of you went to SCG Baltimore, but a good friend of mine who went to have fun, played a what's the companion that you can only play one of? Lutri. Played a a loot tree deck with a bunch of attractions and stickers and stuff in there. And tons of people complained about how much time he wasted rolling dice the entire event because he went to time every round. So if that's what you're into, Phil's about to give you a ton of good info.
1: So the idea with these is, I'll read Deadbeat Attendant. I'll read one of these. It's one in a black for a 1-1 vampire employee. When it enters the battlefield, open an attraction. These attractions, generally speaking, have small-ish effects think something on the order of getting a 1-1 token. But if for two mana you get a 1-1 body, and over the course of a game you go and you get some other value out of that, it can end up being a decent amount of things over time. Some of these attractions also have a mini-game, like they have some sort of prize that you can get as a reward if you go and do another thing. The biggest enabler uh, is Lifetime Pass
2: Holder. Uh, This is 2 and a 1 for a black creature zombie guest. Lifetime Pass Holder enters the battlefield tapped. When it dies, open an attraction. And when you roll to visit your attractions and roll a 6, you can return it from the graveyard to the battlefield. This is kind of the another thing that loops around it dies it, you get more attractions which makes it more likely that you do you roll once for all your attractions
1: or does each attraction get a roll uh okay so at the beginning of your first main phase you roll a six-sided die if the lit up number is rolled you visit the attraction and then the attraction visit ability is triggered i think that's one die uh, i would have to dig into the cr i can do that if you keep talking
2: Okay. Uh, Yeah. Phil's going to determine if (laughs) this is such a mess. By the way, if you're listening to this and you've been playing magic for 27 years and your eyes are in the back of your head and you're like, what is going on? Me too. Uh, I'm with you. But these are cards. I don't think they're going to change much. I know uh, Peter Vanderham played an attraction control esper deck at to a top eight finish in a paper event last year one of my friends bought into the deck i also bought into the deck because i'm a sicko and have to have all decks even though i'll never play this it's like fine uh it's a thing you could do it's not busted uh you will rarely have to see this and most people could not be bothered to figure out these rules and assemble the deck and actually sleeve it up so uh Your opponent would have to be have a massive sense of humor about Magic the Gathering and not really be serious about winning the tournament and have no value for their time on this mortal earth before you have to worry about
1: any of this. That is where we are. Uh, Phil, have you come up with an answer? 709.49a. Long story short, you roll once and anything that has the lit up number that's the same as your roll is visited and you trigger its ability.
2: Okay, that is what I thought. So you're not actually more likely to trigger a Lifetime Pass Holder the more attractions you have because you
1: just get one roll.
2: Uh, one out of six, you'll get your Pass Holders back and then kill them again
1: somehow and you get more attractions. As a weird side note here, the attractions, if you end up destroying them, don't go to your graveyard. They go to their own individual zone called the Junkyard. That is its own graveyard, like Contraptions had a Scrapyard. I am boiling
0: with rage right now. Can we talk about a real card? One quick note before we leave attractions. My friend that played a bunch of these cards was livid that Meltdown happened to be good against his deck because 8-cast was big at Baltimore and people were on Meltdown, blew up all of his attractions. He's like, I spent so much time getting all these into play. Uh, So you can destroy them and make your opponent have no fun for trying to ruin your event.
2: They are artifact permanents with no mana cost. Is that correct? Uh,
1: I believe that is correct.
2: Right, so if you Hercules recall them, they're ju- they are just like eventually go to discard and dump them because you can't actually play a card without a mana cost. It-, it seems like there's a bunch of stupid stuff here, and it's a fragile engine, and it's barely worth assembling, so don't worry everyone. Thank you for enduring these past 10 minutes with us. I want to talk about a real card that I actually like and am likely to play, and that is Triumph of St. Catherine. Four and a white for a 5-5 lifelink human warrior. When Triumph of St. Catherine dies, exile it and the top six cards of your library in a face down pile. If you do, shuffle that pile and put it back on top of your library. And it has miracle for one and a white. So we got a big chonker. This is Batterskull stats, uh, 5-5 lifelink, slightly bigger than Batterskull, slightly smaller than Cauldra, has lifelink, and it can arrive at instant speed for one and a white. This is a major combat option This is the type of thing that I'm looking at my blue-white decks sort of as a counterplay to something like Moonstompy or some initiative pile. Just poop out a bigger creature than they have at instant speed if necessary and start challenging the board earlier than you're supposed to. And if it were to die, it randomly ends up in your top seven cards somewhere. So it's coming back. I'm excited about this one. I have I am obviously in touch with some Paper Legacy. It does occur. It's the bulk of my job to play online, so I have no reps with this card myself. I have seen it in Blue-White Miracles decks. I've seen it in Doomsday sideboards. I've seen it in like Bant Tempo decks with Noble Hierarch. I've seen it in a lot of different shells tried in Paper. I have not seen it break through in a Paper Top 8 yet. Or at least I'm sure on MTG Top Eight you'll find something, but like a Star City opener, an Energy series, or whatever. I have not seen like the Triumph deck really break. Like with all of these cards we're going to talk about, we're in a spot where you can't Hive Mind it. You have to brew it yourself because the Hive Mind doesn't have access to it yet. And I'm not sure if the shell's been found. I am excited about this card.
1: I got to watch a Paper Magic match this weekend of like Mono Black Helm Stompy versus Jeskai control the mono black player like basically had the win secured control player was at like five life played triumph of St. Catherine it ate like a snuff out they brainstormed the triumph of St. Catherine ended up in the top couple of cards I think they miracled it back into play attacked for five swords to plowshare to creature over the course of three turns, there had been like a 30-point life total swing as this thing cracked in and stabilized the game. It was incredible. You're singing my song, Phil. That's exactly what I
2: imagine with this card. There was also some rules confusion about this card. The ability, when it dies, exile it and the top six cards of your library in a face-down pile. If you do, shuffle that pile and put it back. So exile it. The the confusion here was... What happens if you don't have six cards in your library? Because there is an if you do written on this card. Generally effects do as much as they can. When it dies, exile it. Okay, we can do that. And the top six cards of your library. Well, I only have four. I'll do as much as I can, which is those four. And then if you do, which I didn't because I didn't meet the criteria, shuffle that pile and put it back. Like, do you just exile your whole library? And this came up specifically in context of like doomsday piles that involve triumph of st catherine matt Tayback, who is the wizards of the coast uh or he was the rules manager i don't know exactly what his position is but he is in charge of rules i think Jess dunks is the rules manager but matt Tayback is like the person who sends the scrolls down for just dunks to distribute them uh tayback said if you only have four cards in your deck you'll shuffle triumph into those four cards and you'll have a five card deck at the end so, I believe that has been answered.
0: So, one of the things about the Triumph of St. Catherine deck and why they might not have results is obviously Brian mentioned the Hive Mind isn't working on it together. But I would also just say, and no disrespect to our editor, Phil Blockman Phil, I love you, you're great. But the Miracle Shell hasn't been competitive in a while, so there might just not be as many people working on it or playing it all together, even though Miracles did receive a new tool. It might just be tough to keep up in the Grixis, Delver, Death's Shadow metagame.
1: More than that, I worry that 4th Aer Lingus has sort of supplanted it, and we might end up in this situation where, like, we missed the window where it was absolutely incredible, and now it's just an okay option.
2: Yeah, 4th Aer Lingus has replaced a lot of Wincons in... Any deck that could cast it, that is a Boros card. And Triumph of St. Catherine is just a white card. There are decks that are white that are not red and don't want to be red. So hope is still alive in doomsday piles and stuff. uh, We're not going to see Fort Aerolingus anytime soon, but we might see Triumph. It's out there. Let's move on to another card that is
1: 100% to change Legacy. Phil, I know you want to do this. Let it rip. Yeah, I want to talk about this one because this one actually cost me a a round in the Legacy event I played over the weekend. Uh, This is Chaos Defiler, three colorless, a black and a red, for a 5-4 artifact creature demon construct. It has trample, and when Chaos Defiler enters the battlefield or dies, for each opponent, choose a non-land permanent that player controls, destroy one of them chosen at random. So you only have one opponent, so this essentially reads like, destroy target non-land permanent when it EDBs or dies. I was playing against Black Red Painter, which is the obvious home for this card, because welding it in and out of play is absolutely disgusting, and I had a Caves of Chaos Adventurer with Forge on it, my opponent was facing down lethal, it was outside of Lightning Bolt range, there was no Painter in play, it wasn't getting Pyroblasted, and I'm like, there's nothing that beats me here, I'm good. And that was my old heuristics talking, and my opponent tapped 5 mana for Chaos Defiler, Killed my initiative creature, like swung in with a 1-1 to take the initiative, and I was fucked. There was no way I was coming back from that. And it's just a 5-4 on top of that. It's so good.
2: Yeah, this this card, a Defiler, in the Rakdos Painter shell, I think is by far the biggest departure between online and Paper that we have, because... Like, Triumph just doesn't exist, and the shells that it would go in might be build-arounds, and, you know, there's a whole if, ifs, ands, or buts about that. But Chaos Defiler, if you're looking for a Painter list on MTG Goldfish, you really have to suss out if it's a paper list or an online list or not, because Painter has been Rakdos in paper since Warhammer came out, whenever that was. Phil, do you know how many days that was off the top of your head, you psycho? So, it's been a long time, though. And it's just stock in paper. The printing of Orcish Bowmasters into Black Red Painter that was already likely to be interested in something like that, Just it just popped right in. And now we're in the space where Mono Red Painter, which was the stock online build because we didn't have Chaos Defiler and what do we need another color for, now sometimes splashes for Orcish Bowmaster too, but they don't yet have Chaos Defiler. It really is just a meaningful thing. Like Phil just said, uh, okay, there's nothing that can beat me here. Bang. Maybe that's true online, but not in paper. Here's Chaos Defiler. Welcome to Warhammer. This one is going to very quickly and immediately change how an entire popular and powerful legacy archetype changes, or how it plays, and for the better. I think this is, there's no maybes. This card goes in that deck, full stop, and it will make it better.
0: I think our next card actually has pretty serious legacy implications as well. Paradise Lost. It's a five mana instant. Three green, green for an instant. It's from Infinity. Roll two six sided dice. Return any number of cards with total mana value X or loss from your graveyard to your hand, where X is the total of those results. Exile Paradise Lost. Michael Clifford. Of the uh, former ant fame, now poker pro, decided to randomly play in a Legacy 2K at Channel Fireball in California. Went in cold, took a stock ant list, added Paradise Lost, said it was the best card in his deck, easily won the event. And Michael Clifford has gone back to playing poker and hasn't played ant since. Just added it to the stock list and won. Said it was very good. It was better than Past in Flames. Cut red altogether. So it has legacy implications. It's already winning events. And we just need it on Magic Online. It's a card I'm excited to test with personally.
2: Yeah, and with Ad Nauseum, kind of on the outs because it doesn't play well alongside Mind's Desire. Paradise Lost doesn't care about your life total or what the mana value of your deck is. Uh, those might be even friends. Uh, I, I don't know. Like I like Paradise Lost guaranteed to pick up any number of Lotus Petals from your graveyard. Like whatever you got in there, it's coming back. Mox Opals in multiples doing Lotus Petal impressions. Yeah, Bobbles just put it all down, pick it all up, around and around we go. Could be the kind of filter you need to get blue blue out of your storm deck which is something we talked about with mind's desire like uh, you have some green you have a bunch of lotus petals you sack them all you pop them all back and
1: boom filtered i'm not the storm expert but that sounds like fun it doesn't target so you could do something like cast it crack some leds in response and then upon resolution you can just return those zero cost things to hand
2: right and you'll roll some number of dice, like or some numbers on the dice, minimum two. If you put this on the stack, crack all your LEDs in response, uh, discard Wishclaw Talisman to the LEDs, and then you're guaranteed to pick up the Wishclaw and all that fast mana again, depending on how hard you want to high roll it, like seven on average, right? That gets back Mind's Desire. You could just throw that in the bin with all your LEDs. Let's party. Bryant is uh, adjusting in his chair right now. <laughs> He's struggling. He's like sweating and frantically messaging the Storm Discord. Uh, yeah, th- this thing is exciting.
0: Paradise Lost is a great payoff for the card Infernal Tutor specifically because it's a tutor effect that goes to the graveyard. Burning Wish gets exiled. Wish Called Talisman goes to the opponent. Infernal Tutor is the natural home. It gives me ill-gotten gains vibes from 2008, right? Like that's what It's the same sort of loop effect. You get back your Cabal Ritual, your Lion's Eye Diamond, your Infernal Tutor, that sort of thing. Mine's Desire obviously being a 6, and when your average die is a 7 is a little bit dicey, but it's still possible. I think Infernal Tutor and Desire don't play super well together, just because it it does stop the Uncounterable Nature. But I do think that Paradise Lost does play well off of desire so like i could see a deck having both maybe you don't have to play something like peer into the abyss into the future i'm just unsure because i haven't been able to play with the card i don't have strong opinions and i know that i should as the storm guy but i just want to be able to play with it and actually get some data
2: i'm gonna jump to our next card which is also a combo card and i do have some experience with this because it is a well-established win condition in cedh although we don't have it in legacy yet and this is Abdul Adrian Gorian's Ward. 4 and a white for a legendary human warrior, 4-4. Four, four. When it enters the battlefield, exile any number of other non-land permanents you control until Abdul Adrian leaves the battlefield. Create a 1-1 one, one white soldier creature for each permanent exile this
1: way. That has a comparable text to another card, doesn't it? That's very similar to Worldgorger Dragon.
2: Right, right. Worldgorger Dragon, a known combo engine that was in fact just recently unbanned in Legacy, like in the last or five years when did that happen but like that card was banned and this is a four mana version of that seven mana effect that's actually castable and doesn't just kill you if you just shove it out of your hand you could actually like reasonably value abdel if you're not going infinite and what we're talking about with infinite is animate dead or necromancy dance of the dead all of those effects abdel comes in he exiles the animate dead you get a one one for that Abdul dies because Animate Dead's gone, then because Abdul's dead, Animate Dead comes back and re- does Abdul. And that's a two card infinite 11s. One and if you have another permanent in play, that's twice infinite 11s. One and if you have a permanent that makes mana in play, a non land permanent, just a, a single mox opal around infinite mana. If you have something like uh, something that enters the battlefield triggers or something that can use infinite creatures like a altar of dementia, uh, sacrifice frexian uh, altar, or goblin bombardment, or y- you see where this is going. It- it's hard to lose a game where you've made infinite one ones. This is a very tight, lower-to-the-ground world gorger dragon in, like, colors that you might actually want to play. Four and a white is very different than four red, red, red.
0: Brian, I have a, a date for you on Royal Gorger Dragon being unbanned. Very January old. 28th, 2015. And the same ban announcement, Treasure Cruise, was banned. And they banned Dig Through Time Cruise <laughs> and Birthing Pod in Modern. They unbanned Golgari Grave Troll, remember that, five minutes in Modern. And Gifts and Given was no longer restricted in Vintage. What a time frame.
2: Okay, so first of all, ouch my knees, ouch my back. Uh, it's it's past my bedtime. It's 8.26 right now, and I should have been in bed four hours ago. But yeah, in the scope of a 27-year Magic career, I, I certainly remember World Gorger Dragon being banned in Legacy for many years that I was playing the format. Uh, it's been legal longer than I remember, but there was a time where we thought that was not okay, and this is a much tighter version of that.
1: So our next card here is Comet Stellar Pup, which is a Planeswalker. Two colorless and a red-white. You only have a zero ability on this five loyalty Planeswalker. You roll a six-sided die. On a one or two, you plus two, and you get 2 green squirrels with haste. On a three, you negative one, and then return a card with mana value two or less from your graveyard to your hand. On a 4 or 5, Comet Stellar Pup deals damage equal to the number of loyalty counters on him to a creature or player, and then you negative 2. But the big payoff for this card is on a 6. You plus 1, and then you can activate Comet Stellar Pup's loyalty abilities 2 more times. So not only do you plus 1, you then get 2 more other activations, which can be incredibly strong... And guess what? You could hit hit a six again and continue this process.
0: I'm going to admit a fear to everyone that I have with cards that involve rolling die, which is, I'm sure this has happened to everyone that's ever played in a competitive magic event. You go up, you're like, high roll, whatever, your opponent agrees, you roll your dice, you give yours a good shake. And then the person across the table just picks them up and gives them a half rotation and drops them down. They're like, oh, I rolled a six. I'll be on the play. That's like the exact thing I think of whenever I see cards that involve die rolling. And it just makes me terrified at a competitive level. Uh, that said, I did see this card see quite a bit of play at SCG Baltimore, and it was pretty good for the people playing it. Yeah, I talked to
2: Will Pulliam, I believe, was the one who ID'd himself into ninth by accident. Uh, he was playing just guy Control. With Comets. I've spoken to people who I trust in their opinion on Magic. I have zero games with Comet myself. There was one tournament that I would have played it in paper. I just forgot it exists and already showed up to the event. So I missed my boat. I've talked to people who I trust. This is really fascinating because there are those in the camp of this card is nutso and worth inclusion, and those in the camp of I would play anything else if I resubmitted my deck. And the thing that Will said at the end of scg baltimore was the real problem with comet stellar Pub is you need board states where you're pretty happy with any of these activations and the way that just guy control works is it keeps the board clear and then sticks some way to pull ahead and when you play comet and roll a four or a five on an empty board and you just lava axe your opponent and you're left with a multiple planeswalker behind that sucks like you would not put lava axe in just guy control you could the card's legal Legal and Legacy, believe it or not, Lava Axe. There's even some sweet portal printings if you want cool art. You just don't include that in your deck for obvious reasons. Four mana, deal five to my opponent. Just not what any Legacy Control deck is looking for. That is one third of the possible outcomes when you do all the work to stick your Planeswalker on an empty board in guy Control. And in that spot, the thing that Comet has going for it over something like Jace is it is not Pyroblastable and generally not Boltable. But one-third of the time, you're going to lava ax your opponent and then get your Comet bolted. It's probably worse than Jace in that world. Like Phil mentioned with Triumph of St. Catherine maybe being replaced by 4th Airlingus. I think the One Ring has largely replaced all of these 4-mana engines in all decks. Any deck that I would have considered Jace or Comet for in the past, I'm now kind of like, yeah, I'll just play the One Ring.
0: It's not even a decision, like, it's just, like, actively right to play the one-ring. It's not like, oh, well, maybe I could play three one-rings in a Jace, like, that's just wrong.
2: If you're a deck with three Null Rods in your sideboard, maybe you, you split them and have some Planeswalkers in that slot. Three Null Rods, by the way, That that's my fantasy. <laughs> never lose the storm, never, don't do it. Uh, if you have some sort of hate that would preclude the one ring from being your draw engine of choice uh, or you have like some additional planeswalker synergy or or something uh, but i as a general rule want to know what my cards do when i spend mana to cast them comet on an empty board uh, under no pressure or for multiple turns will probably win the game but that one out of three chance where you just lava axe your opponent and pass the turn that seems so bad
1: So, the next card on our list is Harper Recruiter, which is two colorless and a white for a 3-1 human warrior with flying. When it attacks, look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal a cleric, rogue, warrior, and or wizard card from among them, and put these cards into your hand. Then you put the rest on the bottom of your library. So, this card has some tournament results already in initiative decks, where you can go let's say you're in a Boros initiative deck, like you can go and find your seasoned dungeoneers and uh, Caves of Chaos Adventure is a barbarian, right? Human barbarian. So it used to be that you could find White Plume Adventurer off of this as well, but uh, not so much anymore. And note that this thing itself is a warrior. So you kind of get that like ripple effect where like you can use this one to find another one and then kind of continue those chains. This is an interesting source of card advantage that also has evasion. Orcish Bowmasters kind of got printed, and so we might have missed the window where this one is super good on Magic Online,
0: unfortunately. Phil, I would actually say that it missed the the bar for another reason that we've already said for a number of other cards. Boros Initiative plays fourth Aerolingas. Guess what? Uh, It goes directly into that deck, and I think the card advantage aspect is also contained by 4th Aerolingus and as pseudo invasion with just mass trample on all of my haste creatures. Like, I think this card just was knocked down by 4th Aerolingus and not necessarily Orcish Bowmasters. So like, don't get me wrong, Bowmasters also wrecks this card.
2: Banning the Cleric out of the initiative deck and then also just 4th Aerolingus being in these piles. uh Tough beats. Another
1: one may have come and gone. Let's go back to creative technique for a minute, because there's actually... I would go so far as to call it a key card in the deck that actually isn't on Magic Online yet. It's Let the Galaxy Burn. This is five colorless, a red, and X with Cascade. It's a sorcery. Let the Galaxy Burn deals X plus two damage to each creature that didn't enter the battlefield this turn. So, specifically within the shell of Legacy... This is a cascade card that can cascade into your creative techniques while also serving as a board wipe for smaller creatures, you know, your Thalia's, your Aether Sword Canonists, and things like that. And if you happen to have extra mana, because I don't know, your deck has 30 soul lands in it, you can funnel X to be a relatively large number to wipe respectable-sized creatures off the board as well.
0: Earlier, when we were talking about Creative Technique, Brian specifically mentioned Thalia, Canonist, his problems. The answer exists. It's just not on Magic Online. That said, with well, the way that Cascade works is you would cast Let the, Light, Let the Galaxy Burn, you would Cascade, and then you would probably choose to not cast or attempt to cast the Cascade spell or else it just gets exiled because you can only cast one spell per turn. Uh, it would initially answer those threats, and then on the following turn, you could come back with your... Creative Technique or your Cascade spell, whatever.
2: Yeah, and I also noticed when I was playing the deck that it is going into a bunch of different colors to get a critical mass of sixes with Cascade. There's like a Sakashima's Protégé, and there's Sweet Gum Recluse. So those are blue-blue and green-green cards in your
1: deck that could be pretty close to mono-red with Let the Galaxy Burn in the mix instead. The next up is a card without a true name. It is the... It has a name. Guacamole Goblin? It's Mind Goblin. Sticker Goblin, Mind Goblin, whatever you want to call it.
0: The official match at the gathering name is five underscores Goblin. And I don't know why it's five, but it is.
1: Yeah, good good luck looking it up on Scryfall if you don't know that. Okay, this one's a bit complicated. It's two colorless and a red for a 2-2 Goblin guest. When this creature enters the battlefield, you may put a name sticker on it. Add red for each unique vowel on that sticker. So sort of like you have a deck for attractions, you can also have a deck for stickers. And what's going on with this card is that you can produce a deck of stickers that means that this goblin ends up being a relatively respectable ramp card. Do either of you remember, like, the exact average mana that it produces...
2: I don't know the average. The worst it can do is four, so it's always a ritual. And the best it can do is six, so you can straight double up.
0: Mike Noble, when this card was spoiled, did the math. And according to his numbers that he shared with me, it was never worse than Seething Song, but had the possibility of being better. And I've been dying to play with this card, and Pauper specifically, because in Pauper, Deadly Dispute is such a powerful card, and the Storm decks are really stretching to play cards that are sort of unplayable like Iker wellspring you don't really want to spend two mana on and this would be deadly dispute sacrifice fodder with a card that you would actually want the effect anyway so i've been really itching to play this card it's probably the card that i'm more, most excited about out of infinity and i'm pretty excited about paradise lost
1: as a tutu this is going to be recruiterable you can find this via a goblin matron you can cast this on turn one off an Ancient Tomb and a Spirit Guide or an Ancient Tomb Lotus Petal. This can do some very powerful things in multiple different shells. Mind Goblin immediately into Muxus is a thing you can do. Mind Goblin into Sneak Attack Activate, you know, there's a lot of crazy things that you can do with it.
2: Yep, I've seen this in Goblin Food Chain Chains, where you get a burst of actual red mana along with your tons of creature mana you get four creature mana out of food chain plus four to six red mana i've seen that in paper and unlike the attractions where i assured you that you'll barely have to deal with it this card is actually kind of real and the decks that want this it is actually genuinely good at what it does i think Popper probably the best home for it like luckily the decks that play it in legacy aren't very good Food Chain Goblins is a thing. It has some results. Uh, That was my finals opponent at SCG Baltimore. It's a deck that can exist, but that player did not have stickers in there, which might have been part of the success. Mono Red Sneak Attack. It exists, but it's kind of fake. Unless we're cutting for payoffs out of Red Stompy for a ritual, that may or may not lead to a payoff. I don't know if that's Phil's area of expertise, but this one, stickers are easier to figure out than Attractions. Uh, you just, like, pick three at the start, at random, from the, the sticker deck. And then
1: after that, it's pretty straightforward. So it looks like our episode is running a little bit long, so I think we're going to save the Wilds of Eldraine cards for another day. But here's the short list of things that we were going to talk about for some reason, just in case you want to take a look at the cards. Beseech the Mirror, Elusive Otter, Up the Beanstalk, Regal Bunnicorn. Yes, that is a magic card now. And sir ginger the meal ender were the cards that we were planning on talking about for one format or another
2: and that's not comprehensive the wild evil drain's not even fully spoiled these are just sort of ones that have picked up on our radar so far we it's probably better we ran out of time we can give you a real episode in the future oh thank you all for listening that was the cards we just got and the cards we'll get soon